Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I think many of us wondered when we had small children if we were doing it right. And we probably didn't think too much about how other people were doing it across the pond. But Sarah Zasky, she was thrust into it, so it made her think about it. And she has written a book called Octung Baby, an American mom on the German art of raising Self-Reliant Children. Sarah, welcome. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. So tell us about being thrust into this foreign land and and how it opened your eyes about child-rearing. Sure. Well, I lived in Germany for about six and a half years. And when I first arrived there, my daughter was two and a half. And one of the first things I noticed is we had a, a picnic in the park when she had turned three with another family, and they had two kids, uh, a three-year-old girl and a five-year-old boy, and all three kids went off to play at the playground, and it was behind a wall, and none of the other parents thought that they needed to get up and go watch the kids. <laughs> so uh, did you say anything at that time, or did you just sit there? What did you do? I said, oh, I'll go. (laughs) I didn't feel comfortable not watching my daughter. And at first, you know, I thought it was just maybe this couple was a little strange. But then I got to to notice that most of the parents uh, don't hover over their kids on the playground. And, in fact, when the kids turn uh, eight and nine, they're at the playground by themselves with no parents at all. Well... Uh, It it sounds great, but you know the way I know that if you live in the United States and those kinds of things happen, uh, immediately your mind rushes to, oh, my gosh, is there a predator or, oh, my gosh, am I neglecting a child? So your your mind is a, a parent, I think, goes in 12 million horrible directions, right? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, but here, the problem is, is that you send your kids to the playground and there are no other kids. Um, when there's a big group of kids on the playground, the chances of a predator coming to, to get them is so low. I mean, the chances are low to begin with. And I think as Americans, we might want to look at why we're so scared about that when the likelihood of it happening is so low. So why are we so scared? <laughs> I'm not sure, because, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I played outside until my mom called me home. And we were just big band of kids outside without adults watching over us. Um, I, I think it might have something to do with our media, that we, we focus so heavily on every one of these tragedies that it seems like it could happen to anyone. And it's, and it's hard to put it in perspective. Well... I I agree that sometimes maybe we overplay it. And there's something going on right now, Sarah, that your book refers to that I I think since we were kids has changed so dramatically. You're in Idaho, is that correct? Yes. So it must be a a billion degrees below zero, right? (laughs) Yes. All right. And it's almost the same here. It's it's cold and we're expecting some uh, historic temperatures. 
when we were kids, Sarah, we literally went outside anyway. I mean, you wouldn't go in the house until maybe you lost a toe at the pond, you know, and then you might go <laughs> in the house. But you actually have a, a chapter in your book called No Bad Weather. Right. That, that's a German saying, and I, I believe it's in other countries, too, in Europe. Um, you just have to have the right clothing. And sure enough, you know, we got uh, winter snow pants and rain pants and boots and, you know, the hats that go completely around the face except just the eyes showing. <laughs> and we send the kids outside, and, and we do the same thing here. Now, do you think that if we started to change our perception of this, because even if there's a... Uh, a low temperature, the probability that it might snow, the, the adults kind of go into a panic mode. They delay school, they cancel school, whatever. Do you think that as adults, we're just getting so soft that maybe the concept of self-reliance is not expressed by us often enough? Yes, absolutely. Of course we have to model it for our kids. Um, but uh, the kids... I, I know my kids uh, like to go out. The worse the weather, the more they want to go out, which is kind of funny. <laughs> they want to try out all their gear. They enjoy being outside. And just spending that little bit of time outside, even if it's, you know, just a half an hour, um, that makes them feel better. And as adults, we should try it more, too, because if we spend all day inside, we don't feel so good. Exactly. And you also talk in your book about when kids are smaller – the, the fact that the education begins for them in a, a, a very critical way, that the kids in Germany start an education at a very young age. And a lot of us would say, oh, no, that's too young. Those kids should be napping. They should be at home with a, a, a parent. And it's a mm -hmm. little bit different in Germany how – uh, the um, reliance on that parental figure is kind of uh, diminished as they go off very early and start school. Uh, yeah, most German kids by age three are in some kind of preschool. Um, and preschool is viewed, at least in East Germany, as very differently than it is here. Um, it's viewed as it, or childcare is viewed as something good for kids. Um, it's good for them to be around other kids, um, to learn from other adults, and, and have new experiences. And what kind of um, academic, I hate to use things like this, what kind of academic formation happens at three years of age in these preschools? Well, they don't do any formal academics. It's pretty much all about play. Um, the idea is that by playing and learning from each other, they learn social skills. Um, they learn how to concentrate because they follow their own interests, and, and they learn self-control. All very valuable because I've talked to people, Sarah, who are in school settings here in the United States, and they tell me th – this stuff is beyond my imagination, but since they tell me it, I have to believe it's true. They get <laughs> kids in school who don't even know how to stand in a line. So they, literally they have to start with the most basic, basic, basic things with these kids. Right. Um we put so much emphasis on cognitive skills, on, on learning pre-reading and, and math, that we forget that behavior has to come first, um, especially for young children. It takes a while to learn. Now, how does this lead to the, the building blocks of creating self-reliance? 
Uh, how does kindergarten lead to that? Right. Or, or young, a, a, young, a, a child who is put into a, a setting at a young age, like a preschool at, th- at three. How does that lead to self-reliance for these kids? Well, in one respect, just move, removing them from the home and they're in a different environment. They're not dependent on mom and dad to filter out all their relationships. So they're starting to live their own life and, and form their own relationships with other people. And I think that's, that's a, a huge part of it. Well, I think that you're right on that. And, Sarah, I think a lot of Americans try to I, – they are involved in this vicarious living exercise with their kids as though they expect their kids – to be little versions of themselves. So maybe putting kids in a setting where they see other things, they could actually have the audacity to say to their parents, no, I don't want that. I want to do this. Exactly. We have to realize that our our kids are separate people and they're going to grow into separate individuals. And also that, you know, I have to admit, I have limitations as a parent and there are there are wonderful kindergarten teachers who taught my kids things that I didn't have. Um, for instance, a little bit more patience <laughs> than I have. Um, and I really value that. Now, let's talk about uh, your, your time in, in Germany and maybe some of the things that you heard from parents at first that you uh, had some doubts about. But by watching how they did it, it opened your eyes a little bit more. Sure. I mean, one of the hardest things for me was letting my child walk to school by herself or with just her friends, because in our culture, we don't do that, especially not at age eight. Um, they, the parents in Germany also will have their kids take the subway or the city bus, not a school bus, like the regular bus. And I would ask the parents, you know, how can you do that? You know, aren't you scared? And they, they would say, yes, absolutely. I'm terrified. However, the kids need to learn this. They need to learn how to navigate their world. And it made a lot of sense to me. Anything else on on that front where you actually thought, you know, this is a good idea and I've been thinking about it in a different way, but this makes sense to me? Sure. Um, They teach children to use things like knives and matches um, <laughs> safely instead of prohibiting them. Uh, the, the reason behind that is when you prohibit these kinds of things, some children will try them in secret, and that's when you can really have a dangerous situation. And the more I thought about that, I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, my goodness. This, to me, is is so pivotal because when we were kids, we did so many things that today you just wouldn't be allowed to do. We threw knives at targets. We shot BB guns. <laughs> we did all kinds of stuff. But in today's society, people would come around and say, you're going to hurt somebody doing that or maybe even hurt yourself. So I think there is a, a little bit of a merit to have, dare we say, supervision on some of this stuff, but it, let them try it. Yeah, I mean, they have to learn these skills at some point, and um, using things like knives leads to cooking, you know, and that's something you want your children (laughs) to learn how to do, right? Absolutely. Uh, Talk about when you came back to the United States with uh, your family. What was it, did you find yourself then actually talking to other parents and saying, well, in Germany, blah, 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 and did they look at you like you had two heads? 
<laughs> yes. I mean, for a while I thought I could get away with things because I was the exotic parent who lived in Germany. Um, but I did get some uh, questioning looks when I let my daughter bike back and forth to school, um, let her go home when I wasn't there. Uh, these are all things that I did as a kid when I was her age. Um, so sometimes to try to remind parents of that and to also when they start talking about they're worried about people abducting their kids, that it's exceedingly rare. And, you know, perhaps uh, we're robbing our kids of something when we don't let them, you know, do something so simple as to bike back and forth from school. Now, some of the things that you talk about have to do with very liberal parental leave for people, Sarah. And then in the United States, this topic is debated. It's debated all the time. And people say, well, how in the world could I live without my employee for years? Uh, talk mm-hmm. about that particular concept and, and whether or not you think it is actually feasible in America. Well, you know, it's feasible in most of Europe. <laughs> and when, <laughs> as I tell a European that, you know, I had three months of unpaid leave with my first child and had to go back, um, they're shocked and a bit horrified. <laughs> so the way I, I understand that it works in Germany is that, that the maternal or paternal leave is paid partly through the government so um, and through taxes so that the company doesn't really take a hit during that time. Um, it's not perfect. Of course, you still have, uh, you know, the company doesn't really want to lose people. Um, and so there's, you know, uh, women and men will continue to work or go back to work early because they want to continue on in their career. Okay, well, these are good to, things to think about and talk about. Now, Sarah, have you heard at all from the band U2 about the title of the book or not? I have not, <laughs> but I'd love to talk to them. <laughs> Is this your way of getting them to talk to you? <laughs> that would be great. Sarah Zaski is great to talk to you today, and your book is Octung Baby, an American Mom on the German Art of Raising Self-Reliant Children. Thanks so much for sparing the time today to talk to us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.